holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Mesut Ozil envío al área el remate ahí está el primer tanto del partido no lo celebra por supuesto Aaron Ramsey 0 a 1 para el Arsenal This is Arscast Extra Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog but not as always we're in the same room Yeah it's quite unusual, actually, for us to be in the same room. This is the first time we've ever done an Arscast Extra face-to-face. Really? Apart from when we've done a live show. Without an audience there? Yeah. Oh. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It is a slightly odd sensation. It's sort of it's unusual to be looking at a real person. Yeah. I don't know where to look. I've, not that your face is objectionable or Maybe anything. Maybe we should just... get our laptops out and open them and just stare into them. It would feel more, yeah, exactly. more natural. I'll go into the bathroom in that this hotel room. Is the, is the lead long enough? We're in a hotel room. Should we make that clear? We are in a hotel room. James has very kindly brought uh, coffee and pastries, mm-hmm. a croissant. Um, I remember Tayo did that once while I was away and I was like, I've got, you know, that's the, that's the, he set the bar now. Yeah. If I don't bring pastries, I'm out. You're out, exactly. And the pastries are good and the coffee is good and I need the coffee this morning after uh, after what we, what we saw yesterday. Mm. But anyway, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. Um, from, from London and Arsenal have beaten Aston Villa 3-2 in what can only be described as, no, I don't know that it can only be described as, there are probably millions of ways that you could describe <laughs> what went on yesterday, but fucking mental, I think, is yeah. one way of putting it. Maybe no way of describing it. It was indescribable one of the craziest games I've ever seen in person um, it would be tempting really to call it a complete one off if I hadn't also watched our last three games before that <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was a, a pretty unique match and I mean incredibly exciting to be there you must be pretty chuffed that that's the game you got to see it was yeah I mean it was when you come over for a game obviously well every game you want Arsenal to win every mm. game Um but at halftime, you know, we're, we're a man down, we're yeah. a goal down. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this team, based on what we've seen over the last few games, is going to be able mm. to to win this game. I had no conviction that we were going to be able to do it. Even up to the last 10 minutes, when we're 2-1 down and you're thinking, where the hell is a goal going to come from? Yeah. But to get that kind of a grandstand finish is is really amazing. And, you know, to to sort of celebrate it with the people around in the stadium, you know, the classic hugging of strangers and, yeah. and what have you. Because we'd been through the mill together because there was a lot of, like, holding your head in your hands and going, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. And what are we trying to do? And how are we trying to do it? And there was a lot of concern, you know, um, from the fans that I was, I was sitting beside and talking to at the game. It was just like... What? Yeah. What is happening, and why is it happening? And and uh, and then you get that finish, and of course it's quite exhilarating. And you come out then feeling 
not confused. Well, I think maybe confused is... Confused is fair enough, I think. You know, because you're going, that was bad, but we've won. Yeah. And winning is great, but I can't not think about the things that were bad also. Yeah, and also because, you know, for the vast majority of the game, it looked like we were staring the bar- down the barrel of a defeat or a draw, both of which would have been really disappointing. Mm. I mean, you have to say the atmosphere was amazing yesterday at the stadium. It was it was a game of two halves in a way. Yeah. Because in the, in the first half, I thought it was pretty lifeless. Yeah. I thought the football we played was lifeless and I thought the stadium kind of matched that. There were moments, obviously, when the crowd were reacting to some of the, the, the positive things that we did on the pitch. But in general, there seemed to be this kind of weight of like... You know that classic thing of like you're you're the you're the team entertain us rather yeah. than the crowd sort of trying to urge the team along and I know that's something that often causes debate isn't it is like is it the crowd's job to get the team up or is it the team's job to to inspire the crowd by the way that they play and it sort of fell between the two stools mm. of course by the end it's absolutely it's absolutely rocking. There's bedlam in the stands. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, maybe that's forged out of a bit of adversity. I mean, maybe they're sending off just before half time. That might have turned the crowd a little bit, mm. you know, against the referee and that galvanised things. But I mean, you're right. The second half, it was a complete transformation. And actually something that we talked about a lot with Unai Emery's teams last season, that they were able to play for a half, but never a full game. Yeah. And I think this was sort of another entry in that particular list. Yeah. So what did you make of the, what did you make of the, the lineup? Um, there's, I think something we can discuss in the second part of the show is the Mesut Ozil thing, because we've yeah. got a number of questions about that. Um, but back, uh, Bakayo Saka was uh, given a start on the left-hand side, mm-hmm. which I guess was reward for his excellent display in, in Europe in midweek. I sort of thought that Nelson would start this one and Saka would, would start in the Carabao Cup tomorrow mm-hmm. night, but it looks like probably that's going to be the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And, and I sort of think Saka deserved that after what he did the other night. And there is, a, there is a gap there for either Nelson or Saka to take. And given what Saka did in Germany... I thought it was sort of good to see that rewarded. Yeah, I thought he did quite well. He had a really good shot yeah. just over the bar with his right foot. Um, I thought he was probably our liveliest player in the first half, actually. It was quite unfortunate that he had to be withdrawn at half-time. But, yeah. uh, you know, at least he'll reflect on the day positively and with a win. And he made a good impression. He didn't look out of place to me. No, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, in a first half where we didn't really perform to any great standard. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't off the pace or, or anything like that. Um, the, the back four kind of picked itself because we don't have much uh, in the way of options right yeah. at this moment in time. Yeah. We are obviously going to talk about the defence, I think. Yeah, I think some people sort of feel that centre-half, there could be a change coming there, but mm. we'll get on to that. Um, I mean, I think the shape was encouraging. You know, it's sort of a bit more positive. Mm. Uh, looked like a sort of four three three four two three one somewhere between the two, depending on where you think Sabios was playing. He seemed yeah. to me to be playing in advance of Shaka and Gendouzi, even though I thought he really struggled to get into the game. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't his best game. No, I don't think he didn't quite reach the heights that he did against Burnley. Um, the midfield in general was. It's a, it's an issue. It's a problem, isn't yeah. it? Because you know, just watching from. The, the position I was in in the stadium, the ease at which our midfield was bypassed yeah. by two or three passes. Like mm. I lost count of the number of times that two or three passes, Villa moved the ball from their own box mm. into our, our final third or certainly approaching our final third. It was so easy. 
Yeah, I, I honestly felt like it was like the midfield weren't there at times. And it's it's, yeah. it's strange because, you know, at the end of the game, we'll probably reflect on the performance of Ganduzi, who who was really outstanding in that second half and is a great midfielder. But there, there seemed to be such a big structural issue in the team. It felt like Villa were able to get four or five attackers sort of one-on-one with our defence at any one time. They could just bypass the midfield entirely. And... Uh, even in the way we built up the game, they weren't very present. You know, it's not like they were controlling possession either. So, yeah, I think, you know, the back four are a problem. But as we said last week, I really think the midfield are doing them absolutely no favours. No, not at all. The goal that Villa scored, um, I mean, it was a simple ball in from the... I mean, it just bypassed our entire defence way too easily. Nobody had any idea where McGinn was. I think he ran off the back of Genduzzi. He did, yeah. Um, Kolasinac was probably looking at it but didn't say anything maybe he could have given a shout I don't know but it was a you know it was a really soft goal to concede it was I mean I think the cross probably came in a little bit easily from the from the right hand side I think Maitland-Oz was already on a booking from 10 minutes in so maybe that affected that a little bit Al-Ghazi gave him a bit of a difficult time and then when the cross came in you had Louise Kalasnac and Genduzi who all kind of left it to each other and he just walked in and scored. It was a, it was a really poor defender. Really was. Um, we'll come to Maitland-Niles now in a second, but just mm. an observation that I had was Jack Grealish's calves yeah. are unbelievable. What is that? Oh, I didn't notice that. Did what you know? They're just like, I don't know, maybe it's just... In big calves. Big, big calves, and I think it's exacerbated by his low socks. Right. But well, the, if you had calves that big, I guess you'd be showing them off. Yeah, that's true. So let's let's get to Maitland-Niles. He was on a booking. Mm. He was then sent off for uh, for his challenge on Taylor. Was yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. oh, it was one was on Taylor, one was El Ghazi, but I can't remember which way around it was. I think the second one was Taylor. Right. Um, did you think it was a second yellow? I actually did. I read in your blog this morning that you weren't convinced, but I, I think that he... I can see that it was reckless. His his foot's high. Yeah. But he does take the ball. He gets the ball. And I think what he's trying to do is because he's sliding, he gets the ball, he hooks it away. And to try and not make any contact with the guy, he's sort of pulling his foot out of the way, which raises his studs. And if you look at the replay, it's... um, it's Taylor that catches Maitland-Niles. Well, he was down for a long time, wasn't he? Down, he was like hobbled off the pitch and probably mm. had some kind of... Because all the players, at one point, Socrates was like pointing to John Moss going, look look at his leg, look at his leg. Right. And uh, so I think I think it was harsh, not least because I, I don't know how John Moss could have seen it. Yes, that's because definitely true. He couldn't have seen it. He couldn't it. have seen it because he, like, he had no way of knowing if it was... Mm. A 50-50, a 60-40, 70-30, whatever it was, mm. because he is so far behind the play. I I played football in Spain, a very amateur level, but there was one referee, and uh, it used to be just kind of a running joke. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, he would not move, basically, out of the center circle. Right. Because he was old and slow and fat right. and lazy. And I looked at John Moss yesterday, and he reminded me exactly of that guy. He looks unfit. He's behind the play. Maybe he had some help from VAR with that decision. I don't know, but he said he'd had already had the, to get it. He'd had the card out of his pocket before yeah. there was any consultation with with VAR or anything like that because they did check. I was watching the replay of it again this morning. Right. 
um, and they said they've checked for a straight red card and they're they're satisfied it's not a straight red card. That's mm. what they said on commentary. But by that time, Moss had the card, the yellow, the second yellow out of his pocket uh, well before that. So you know, I, I don't think they can tell him if it's not a second yellow. Uh, right. I, I think they can only check for the straight red. So, which seems kind of counterintuitive, yeah. but I think uh, it definitely wasn't a straight red. I think, I see your point, but from his angle, certainly, and I'm not saying it was a good position, I think from beh- from behind Maitland-Niles, which is where he was, it would have looked very clumsy. Yeah, I guess he gave the referee a decision to make that perhaps he didn't need to, but I think when you win the ball and then you end up with a guy's studs in your shin to get a second yellow card mm. for that seems uh, seems a bit harsh. Yeah, he had a bit of a torrid day, I thought, Maitland-Niles. He missed a great chance, didn't he, earlier yeah. on? And uh, in the week where he said, he sort of came out publicly and said, I'm not a right back. Uh, that I, felt like a cry for help. Yeah, it did to me as well. And uh, I, when I watched him play, I sort of, I mean, I sort of bought it. <laughs> I sort of believed him. He didn't look comfortable. Yeah, I mean, he said it himself, didn't he, during the week about how, you know, he's trying his best, but, mm. but finding it difficult, obviously. I mean, do you think perhaps there was a, an implicit criticism of the coaching he's receiving in that position? Or is it a case that, you know, he feels like, okay, th- this is not somewhere I, I can play long term and, you know, it's not getting any better. So I need to get the hell, <laughs> I need to get the hell out of here and into midfield or somewhere further up the pitch. Uh, maybe. I mean, maybe he's just realizing that <laughs> as, as a footballer, you don't want to be a defender at Arsenal. It's sort of a nightmare job for anybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do feel like there might be a bit of implicit criticism there. And the thing about fullback is, I feel like there was a time in the game where you could almost hide a player in that position. Yeah. But now it's so exposing. It's such a, a high competence position with so many elements to it. I think expecting someone to just pick it up at 21, I think 22 Maitland-Niles is now, is, is a massive ask. It's you know People will refer back to someone like Ashley Cole, but really he started playing as a fullback around the same age Hector Bellerin did, sort of 15, 16. Yeah. Uh, and so you know it, it, it is a, a big, big task ahead of him. I suppose it, it comes down to that thing that we've always said about Maitland-Niles, is, is he going to get the opportunities in the position he wants at Arsenal? It's probably still his best opportunity to be an Arsenal player. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, he's not going to play our next game because mm-hmm. he'll obviously be suspended for that and we have to wait and see whether that injury was serious enough to keep him out for for longer. So Emery had to sacrifice somebody, sacrifice Saka at halftime. Callum Chambers came on. Yeah. Um, that, that put an end to a brief spell of Granit Xhaka playing right back, which yes. was one of the most frightening things I've ever seen on a football pitch. <laughs> um, yeah, before the second half goes on, then we can we can maybe touch on on Xhaka and the the mm. reaction to his substitution. Yeah. I mean, around me, it was quite bad. What was it? Did you get the there was ironic sort of cheers or cheers. the boos? There was cheers when the number went up and then there were some boos and then there was a realisation that Willock was coming on so a few more cheers, right. you know, that kind of way. Um, like, I mean, I get all the concerns about Shaka. absolutely I do yeah. and I don't think our midfield functions with him in it. I think we've got more than enough evidence to suggest that's the case. Mm-hmm. We have an ongoing problem in midfield and one of the key one of the common denominators is Xhaka's presence in yeah. there. Um, I didn't think it was particularly bad yesterday. I didn't think it was great or anything, but it really feels like the, the crowd has made their mind up about him. Um, I know Tim Stillman did a, a piece for for the Arsenal Vision uh, Patreon members last week from the Watford game where he basically said, 
Xhaka came over at the end of the game and was like given pelters mm. by the crowd, by the away fans, and it's transmitted itself into the into the home fans as well. I mean, it feels like something that players just don't really come back from that kind of when you lose when the crowd when the supporters lose faith with you to that extent it's almost impossible to come back from it yeah I think he is a little bit unfortunate in a way because he's sort of become a symbol of people's frustrations with the coach I think yeah uh, and, and the fact that he's probably this week going to be named as the, the official captain I think that do exacerbates you, do you think problem. that's going to happen I mean do you think Given what happened there, given the reaction, of course, you know, we can whitewash it away in the light of a victory, perhaps. But I think you you have to step back and and think very carefully about that decision that if you're about to name a guy captain who's been jeered and heckled off the pitch by his own fans, that, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. It feels a bit stubborn and intransigent from Emery and you know it, it wouldn't surprise me if Xhaka started you know the next 10 games you know because mm. Emery does seem to like him but it's sort of self-defeating in a way you know that's not going to be something that people go oh he's our captain now our minds have changed no I think it's making it worse at the moment yeah um, because people see it as sort of a not only an indication of faith, but an indication he's going to be in the starting eleven every week, and I think that's adding to the frustration. Mm. Fans get most unhappy when they feel like something isn't going to change, and they somehow have to force it. I think, yeah, and uh, it feels a bit like that with Shaka. I mean, I have to say, I do think he was part of a, a, a really poor midfield performance against Villa, and he's putting the team in large part to try and bring elements to the side that he's no longer bringing you know even though he's never been great off the ball on the ball he should emanate that sort of slight sense of calm he should enable us to control possession but he's not even really doing that anymore no I mean the the booking he picked up yesterday <laughs> when it happened like yeah I don't know what the the reaction was around you but around me it was just like people were going crazy because mm. it was just a classic the classic Shaka booking where a guy goes around him in a giant circle. I mean, it wasn't even like a trick that got him past him and Shaka just, you know, pulled him back. Mm. There's a, you know, the, I think Aubameyang committed a foul late in the game, which gave Villa a free kick in yeah. a very similar position, very similar position, similar kind of situation. But I think there was just more understanding and more appreciation for Aubameyang's foul because he doesn't do it all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and those were particular circumstances as well. Yeah, right? late the in the game. game yeah. he, he did a few of those fouls at Birmingham, actually. He did, yeah. There was one where he, he he just kind of was chasing behind a guy and he sort of fell into the back of him, which I thought yeah. was which I thought was excellent. He showed his experience. Yeah. And I'm, maybe we'll get on to the captaincy, but I think he really sort of stepped... It was one of the players who really stepped up in that second half and I, showed I'd a bit give of it to Aubameyang. Yeah. I would give it to Aubameyang. I don't think you can realistically give it to Xhaka and expect it to be a healthy decision. Um, so in the absence of, of anyone else, um, you know, and I'm thinking maybe of, of Hector, I'm thinking of Rob Holding as well. You know, somebody who plays week in, week out, somebody who who is popular, somebody who takes responsibility on the pitch, somebody who makes a difference, somebody who can have an impact on the way that we play. And, you know, he scored the winning goal yesterday. Um, he's maybe not your archetypal leader, but in, in the absence of anyone else in the squad to do that job, who else is there really? Between him and Lacazette, maybe. Can't give it to either of the centre-halves. They're a pair of clowns. Yeah, and I think uh, if you're looking between him and Lacazette, even though Lacazette might seem the more 
obvious candidate in terms of his character, Aubameyang is the one who's going to play absolutely irrespective. Yeah. I think while we work out the composition of our front three, there's a little element of doubt over Lacazette. Aubameyang, you cannot possibly doubt his place in the side. He's hugely responsible for our goal scoring, our attacking threat. Yeah. And also there have been a few things recently, I think, which show a little bit of leadership or captaincy qualities. I mean, the decision with the penalty yesterday, for example, to yeah. give that to Pepe, he took that on on the pitch himself. Emery made that clear in his press conference. That was Aubameyang's initiative. And when I reflect on Frankfurt, you know, Aubameyang having his arm around Bukayo Saka, pointing at him at full time, yeah. that relationship with the younger players is another positive element to his Oh, absolutely. Presence. I think so. I think he's really, uh, you know, he's a, a guy with... Uh, for a for a goal scorer, he's a guy with a really generous spirit because mm. that's not the first time he's given up a penalty. No, um, he did it last season for for Lacazette at a time when Lacazette needed a goal. Clearly, Pepe was in need of a goal. It was another game where perhaps it was going to pass him by in the weight of going without a goal, having signed for seventy two million in the summer. You know, it becomes more and more of a burden. And I think I think that was fantastic. I was a little bit worried about it, even though Pepe's a great <laughs> penalty taker. It just felt maybe like um, one of those things that might backfire. But, you know, he spanked the penalty home and, and it's great. And I think that's a big, big, big weight off his shoulders. And like you say, that's that's leadership mm-hmm. and that's setting an example. And he, he does connect with the young players and he's really, really positive with the young players. You know, even in Frankfurt, he, he linked up very well with, with Saka. He linked up well with Willock, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, you can't, you just can't give the captaincy to a guy who's been given that kind of reception. I'm not saying booing players or uh, jeering players is a good thing to do or anything like it, but that's the reality of that situation. So to sort of compound people's frustration by making him the the official captain, that would be, in my opinion, that would be a crazy thing to do. Yeah, and the the captain is the symbol of your club. And I think Aubameyang is one of the sort of cultural leaders at Arsenal. Clearly, he's a massive figure in the dressing room. And I just think... You know, that's the guy I want to see on the front of my match day program. He is our star player, and I don't see reflecting that in the in the captaincy a bad thing. No, not at all. So the penalty was mm. won by Matteo Ganduzzi, who I think had an absolutely storming second half. If there's a big, big positive from from yesterday's game, it's Ganduzzi who, you know, is still at a stage in his career where his his um, performances are going to fluctuate a little bit. His yeah. decision-making is not always going to be perfect. You know, I think he he should learn a very, very serious lesson um, from the, the gesture he made to the Watford fans last week because that came back to bite him and, mm. and us in the arse. I'm not saying that, you know, um, he should curb all those elements of his character, which we'll talk about now in a minute because I think they're important. But... At 20 years of age, we're down to 10 men. We're a goal down. The crowd are antsy. He took it on himself. And just that one driving run helped change the momentum of the game. I know we conceded pretty much straight away afterwards, but it showed that we could do something in the With final third men, and, yeah. and, and cause Villa some problems. It just put a few doubts in their mind. Definitely. And I think you're right. This is a point in his career where there are going to be ups and downs. But what's impressive about Gunduzi is when the downs come, he tends to respond to them well. I thought he had a, a really tricky day at Watford. You know, he got caught on the ball a couple of times from the goal kick situation, yeah. which was better in this game, thankfully. I think we went along a lot more frequently. Um, there was variation. There was variation. I know, what a novel idea. Uh, and he also had a big, made a big mistake in the first half. He let um, McGinn run off the back of him on the first mm. goal. 
but he does seem to respond really well and the character that he showed was incredible really for a guy of that age and I know it's something we talk about all the time but you do have to take the good with the bad from it with him I mean that is his nature and it was the same with guys like I mean Patrick Vieira is a good comparison who had that a slightly sort of petulant aggressive manner someone someone mentioned yesterday afterwards Sesk yeah you know who had that in him as well that yeah. there was this this determination this will to to do something positive on the pitch can manifest itself in behavior which mm. will not endear him to to fans of other clubs but you know we can connect with it i think emery said afterwards he likes Ganduzi's anger is mm. is what he said but you know i do like that about him i do like a guy who does not want to lose Mm-mm-mm. who just you know will do what it takes and you know there's a line and sometimes you're going to cross it <clears throat> he, uh, you know, he had a little bit of a square up with a with a goalkeeper. It was another good run into the box, and I was watching him very closely. He did sort of throw himself down a bit, and the yeah. keeper reacted to it. But you know, why the hell not? We're trying to get anything out of a game, and we're you know, um, we're down to ten men. You need somebody to just to to bring people with them, you know, in the way that you play. And I think the way that Ganduzi played yesterday, particularly when Torreira and Willock came on, it's sort of. He brought people with him mm. to try and make things happen. He showed leadership too, yeah. even at that tender age. And I think he's part of that sort of leadership group within the squad with Lacazette or Bamiang. But yeah, I thought he was excellent in the second half. And that driving run for the first goal summed it up, really. He worked his way into the penalty box. I think he sort of slightly bought the penalty, to be honest. He, he, he knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you don't get there without taking the ball on and being Absolutely. positive and, and, and driving towards their box. Um, you know, I think he would have would have quite happily continued, but he saw the opportunity mm. to, to use the guy's bad positioning to take a, you know, to run into him, basically. And, yeah. you know, it was 50-50 foul. The, um, the Villa manager was really up, upset with his defender there because yeah. he was like, he planted his leg in the penalty box. As soon as you do that, you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. So he took advantage of, you know, similarly, um, you know, you look at what Luis did last week yeah made it easy for Pereira hung a leg uh, but yeah, yeah you hung a leg out and you go over and you win the penalty so 1-1 and then 60 seconds later it's 2-1 mm. and again Jack you're Grealish's thinking, calves powering him to the byline I mean look what can you do what can you do with calves like that it's impossible <laughs> but I mean that was too easy wasn't it I mean we, we were a bit careless I think it was Chambers uh, loose control but but Grealish just ran in a straight line, yeah, basically into our box without a challenge, without anybody getting anywhere near him. And you know the the cross was decent. Louise had no idea. I have to say, I don't know what David Louise was doing at all there. Uh, he swung his left leg at it. It was really strange. Mm. Um, and you know when David Louise arrived, I'll hold my hands up and say. I managed to talk myself into it being a good idea. <laughs> I think a lot of Arsenal fans did. We were like, well, we've, had, we've had a good window. Louise, it's not a perfect situation. But six, seven games in, wherever we are, uh, it, it doesn't look great at the moment. No. I mean, it doesn't look great for either of them. I think Socrates was, yeah. was poor yesterday as well. His play acting was absurd. Yeah. That bit in the first half was just, that's an embarrassment. Mm. And the two of them... If I could, I'd like drive him out to the woods and leave him there because, you know, uh, I I appreciate the fact that being a central defender at Arsenal is a difficult thing, you know, and it goes back to what we've talked about in midfield offering protection and or no protection or whatever it might be. But I still think on an individual level to be as calamitous 
as those two have been so far this season is, you know, for, for guys of that experience, it's just not good enough. They're no. not a good combination. No, it's not working well at all. And Louise, you know, I, we, whenever we buy a centre-half from a rival in recent years, it hasn't gone well. And I have a horrible feeling he might be joining that pantheon of awfulness. <laughs> yeah, the new Sylvester. <laughs> or Gallus. Or Gallus, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'm having flashbacks here. I'm having flashbacks. Yeah, he was just so... Um, I watched him quite closely yesterday, and he was on his heels a lot. Yeah. Uh, just not alert. And, I mean, it, you sort of know it of him for, from a distance, but then seeing it up close, you're like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a problem. It is a problem. And, you know, I know we have a problem at right back for our next game because uh, Maitland-Niles is suspended. So I guess Callum Chambers will have to play right back at Old Trafford. Is he suspended? It doesn't count for the League Cup game then. Oh. On Tuesday. I don't know, actually. I don't know. That's bad. Yeah, that's bad. We should know this. We should know that. Should we Google it? Can we be arsed? No. no. But basically, <laughs> let's go with the idea that he might still be injured, obviously. Yeah. You know, from the injury today. Yeah. So who's to know? But I mean, at this point, I would give Chambers a run at centre half. Right. And those two are so bad that... How much worse can he be? Yeah. But they're so bad that I would, you know, if Emery played Mustafi, it would be like, okay. It's not like they're doing better. No. You know, I don't think you would actually be okay. I think that's no. I wouldn't. Okay, I wouldn't be okay with it because I want Arsenal to be to be better. But yeah, you know, I think uh, what we do have is a lot of centre halves. Now I'm not sure how good any of them are, but we've got a lot of them. Well, we've got Holding to come back, Mavropanos to come back, and Chambers there. And if you keep persisting with a pairing like that, that that makes mistakes, that doesn't really. Uh, perform to the level you would expect from two experienced centre-halves. If you keep picking them, it's your fault. It's on the manager. This is something I was chatting a lot about with Amy Lawrence yesterday during the game. We were watching it. And and Emery, although he's prepared to give youth its head in certain areas of the field, it feels Mm. like defensively, his tendency is to rely on experience. You look at Xhaka in the position he's in and then Louise and Socrates behind that. But those guys are really not doing him any favours at present. And actually, I think he needs to be a little bit more adventurous maybe with his selections in those parts of the pitch. Yeah. So the the second goal for Arsenal uh, came from Callum Chambers. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. I was watching him in the, in the warm-up uh, before the game. He was doing keepy-ups with uh, Mesodozo and Lucas Torreira. And they were doing that thing. They were just knocking the ball between them. And Chambers for about six or seven in a row, rather than just kick it normally with the with the instep of his foot, did a kind of, like, put his foot behind him. I'm demonstrating to Jen, but he did it like that. Right. Like six, seven times in a row, and they were perfect. Wow. Like, the ball was going, and I was going, wow, this guy, you know, I know he's so got some skills. Andrew's sort of doing like a, a back flick, I guess. He's sort of kicking behind his yeah. leg. Canoe-esque, almost. Yeah, kind of. But, he, you know, the, the weight and the precision of the balls going to Ozil and Torreira was like, wow, right. that's very impressive. Mm. I know he's a professional footballer and they've got to have some skills. And I was thinking, he's, he's got some real, he's got some real uh, uh, chops here. And then he scores that goal. Yeah. You're going, wow. 
That was a that was a, a very smart finish. It was a really smart finish. He lifted it brilliantly over the keeper. It came from another piece of good play from Ganduzi. Actually, again was coming in for that left side. Played a, uh, it was a, a good cross to, to find Chambers yeah. in the first place. It was a really good cross for ball, and that is a pass that he has in his game. That sort of left to right diagonal, a little bit similar to the one that found Aubameyang against Spurs in the North London derby. And Chambers, he didn't give up. He squared it, and it looked for all the world like Villa had dealt with it. Uh, Tyrone Mings sort of I think he went for it he, he felt he could do like a delicate header to his teammate yeah uh, but Chambers was wise to it nipped in and it's a really good finish actually yeah. the way he just lifts it over the goalkeeper with the outside of his boot arcing kind of into the top corner in. yeah, yeah. And, and I think Chambers in Frankfurt you know, there were points where he struggled defensively, but there were a couple of really nice passes in there from him. Uh, Aubameyang should have scored, shouldn't he, from one, from both of them, maybe, but yeah. certainly from one. From one, yeah. I saw Aubameyang apologising on Instagram for... Oh, really? Yeah, he said, uh, uh, Chambers put up a post, you know, it was like, uh, thanks to the fans for their support tonight, blah, 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 the mm-hmm. usual sort of social media thing. And Aubameyang's in on the comments underneath. He's going, sorry, bro, should have scored there, whatever it was. Right, but, right. You know, yeah, I mean, he's got some... He's a good footballer, Chambers. I think he is a good... Uh, technical footballer. Well, he played in midfield for, played midfield for, for the season. There's another option that is for an option, our midfield. Yeah. Um, you know, but maybe our need at centre-half uh, to give him a chance at centre-half is a bit more pressing. And then we score what turns out to be the winning goal a couple of minutes later. Aubameyang was fouled just outside the box. Everyone was going crazy about the advantage. Were you aware of this? Because yeah, Torreira was, went on into the box. They were and, screaming for a penalty. Yeah. Um, the people around me were going, it's a penalty! Mm-hmm. I was going, he'd already blown. Mm-hmm. He had already blown. So, um, as it turned out, uh, that was a good decision for us. I mean, strange kind of free kick. Yeah. Because the wall, the wall and the, well, I mean, the keeper should have been it's the keeper's side. side. I mean, I've watched the wall. Chambers is sort of in there trying to make yeah. something of it. Jack Grealish, I think, is the Villa guy on the end of it. And he doesn't do a great job, to be honest. He sort of slightly half turns away from it. But it is kind of almost too easy the way the ball finds that corner. I mean, wonderfully easy. I'm yeah. Just, just watching it again here. It was Aubameyang and Pepe stood over it. Yeah. They um, had a good discussion, didn't they? Mm. Watch it here. I mean, it's. I think it. I mean, it's a great free kick, kick, no question. But yeah, it's a bad wall as well. It's a bad wall and bad keeping. Like mm. if your goalkeeper, if Leno had let that in at the other end. Oh yeah, nobody would be that happy. No, and, and I, I'll tell you this: I was sat next to a journalist who's, who covers Aston Villa, and he was saying Villa fans will be absolutely furious, having been in the position they were in twice against ten men. Yeah. They made a real hash of it. You know, they couldn't keep... I mean, it's a familiar story for Arsenal fans, but they just couldn't keep any control in the game. No, yeah, well, we know all about that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think towards the end of the game, we saw it out reasonably well. We won a lot of free kicks. There was an issue with a Socrates potential handball. Mm. Did you did you see it again? Have I seen have seen it again. It again. It's uh, it's one of those... His arms are sort of by his side, but it does strike him sort of in the upper does, arm, doesn't it? He, seems he leans to, into it, yeah. seems to lean into it. Like, had that been given as a penalty, I wouldn't have been... That Surprised. No, I think it probably is, but I think there's a decent shout against Jack, Jack Grealish as well in the other penalty box, maybe for a hand. I can't remember. So. I don't remember that one. I think he's trying to clear it, and it and he, it comes off his hand in a sort of right. very obvious way. So, you know, I, I'll uh, I'll take that. But it was 
you know, it was not a done thing at three two. I thought we were a little bit more cynical than we have been in the past defending leads. Uh, yes, I mean, Obama, we've Obama talked Yang about Aubameyang and making uh, fouls. I think Torreira um, has this remarkable ability to look on the brink of death before yeah, springing back to his feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's good. It kind of eats up time, that, that sort of um, South American gamesmanship, sure. if you like. I, I think... Uh, Leno got a booking, didn't he? Yeah, well. second. I mean, that was... That was harsh. That was I a thought, harsh considering one. the fucking villa keeper the entire game had been taking an age over his goal kicks mm. and Leno just sort of took the ball and was gonna pump it down and Moss was over immediately to give him his uh, yellow card. That's two in two games now for, for Leno for the same thing, isn't it? It must be something they've been told to clamp down upon because I think it's been quite harsh on both occasions. And uh yes, I mean it did result in that delicious thing where the goalkeeper who's been taking his time with the goalkeeper <laughs> then has to hurry that was hilarious yeah. that was good fun actually because uh, everybody was laughing at him and of course I mean you must have particularly relished I don't know if you could see him but John Terry was on the sidelines I did see John Terry on the sidelines yeah. yes that was good I had a good view of John Terry a few times in his shorts full <laughs> kit wanker it was enjoyable because you know as the game sort of went out of Villa's control mm. uh, John Terry and the coach were sort of in a huddle trying to work out what's going on you could see their exasperation you could see they couldn't do much to sort of stem the tide and given that we had 10 men that is pretty remarkable I mean I came away from this game thinking oh my god this team is an absolute mess but you have to say it didn't feel like we had 10 men in that second 45 minutes no it didn't I mean we haven't I think uh, when we played against 10 men we've been worse yeah. than when we played with 10 men under Emery, a couple of times we've we've played against ten men and, and found it really very difficult. Vicarage Road last season, is yeah, the one that always springs to mind. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah, the Watford game. Um, and you have to like give the the team uh, credit for their character and for mm. not giving up. And uh, you have to give Emery a little bit of credit for the substitutions that he made as well. I think Torreira and Willock yeah. made a difference. Um, I better turn the sound down off my computer again. Um, and. To come back and to to take three points in a game like that, in circumstances like that, was fantastic. Mm. And as we said, you know, the stadium was was uh, rocking at the end of it. Everyone was delighted with the win. Um, but here comes the butt, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's sort of like how how you can't analyze this game in, in a serious way by just talking about how great it is that we won. Mm. I mean, we were 10 minutes potentially from a defeat at home to a newly promoted side after the shambles that was Watford. I think questions um, persist over Emery and, and all that, but, you know, it could have potentially been the game that ended his Arsenal career. I think so. I think when we were losing it, it felt a bit Wigany, didn't it, to refer back to Arsene Wenger? Yeah, it felt like a huge moment for Emery, and he and he came through it, and the team came through it. But I think it's difficult to argue they came through it convincingly. It, it just shouldn't be this hard, should it? No, and you know what? What what sort of was something I thought about um, was very early on in Emery's reign, uh, Darren Burgess, who was the uh, the strength and conditioning guy or mm. head of high performance or whatever it was uh, that he was called didn't didn't interview and it was sort of uh, with an Australian outlet and it was what's different between Wenger and Emery and this was in August of last year 
and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but mm-hmm. what he said was Emery is super focused on the defense. He's really focused on making Arsenal more defensively solid because from there you can build, you know, a cohesive team, an attacking team or whatever. And that's always stuck with me because here we are a year and a bit later. And if anything, we're worse Mm. as a defensive team. Mm. Defensively, we are we are worse and we don't look like we're improving. And I think Emery said after the game, you know, our challenge is to improve and to improve defensively. But it's hard to see how it happens. Yeah. I mean, Emery, I think our hopes were for Emery that he would bring some structure to quite a chaotic team. And if anything, we're more chaotic than we have ever been. And, you know, what happened against Aston Villa should be, as I said at the top, written off as like, oh, well, that's like a happening. That's like an extraordinary event. But it isn't. In context, this keeps happening. Uh, It's not that dissimilar a game to the Spurs game or the Watford game. In fact, all three games, there was a point in the last 10 minutes where it was two all, and frankly, anything could have happened. Yeah. Uh, It happens that this time we got the break of it. We got the luck. But, you know, it could easily have been so different, especially if that Socrates penalty had been awarded. So, yeah, I mean, I think there were 50 attempts on goal in the game. uh, Between the two sides. Between the two sides. A half century of shots. And I know this time we had (laughs) more of them. And, you know, that's great. You know, we've at least had more attempts in the opposition in this match. But that is kind of absurd. And, uh, you know, it's been compared to a, a basketball game, but I almost think that's flattering. It, it, it it's, was just madness. And we cannot go through the season like this because Aubameyang's not always going to score you a free kick from 25 yards in the you know dying minutes. Yeah, or the opposition are going to take more of their chances. Yeah. Or, you know, look, it, it's, it's a brilliant thing that, that we came back mm-hmm. with 10 men. But like most times, that's not going to happen. And if you play this way on a consistent basis, you're going to drop more points. Simple mm. as that. You yeah. know, it, it, it's just, there's something wrong fundamentally with the, the setup of this team. Yeah. The margins are just too fine in the games, basically. Mm. And we're, we're, we're gambling too heavily. And, you know, I think we spoke after Watford and we said, what does Emery need next week against Villa? And we said a win, of course he needs a win, but, Ideally, he needs a comprehensive win or a comfortable win. And a performance that gives you something to to cling to. Not cling to, but like to say, okay, I see. Okay, we've, we, we were this against Watford, but we're this against Villa, and that's better. Mm. And I know the circumstances were different and we we're down to 10 men and, and everything else. But even in the first half, you know, there wasn't much that you could look at and say, well, I like that. Yeah. And what, and what of our best performances has been this season? Maybe the second half against Spurs and the second half of this game. But they're yeah. both situations where we were in adversity, you know, mm. where we were really backed to the wall. And that's not how, that's not proactive. Uh, that's not being a protagonist, to borrow Emery's phrase. Yeah. And I think you touched on something really important there, which is, you know, he's not bringing the qualities to the team at the moment that we we need him to. Yeah. Uh, so I do think that although we got the result and in the context of the weekend it's a really good result I mean a lot of the teams around us dropped points didn't they yeah Spurs lost Chelsea lost United United lost lost. so So the three big big points no arguing with that Mm -hmm. whatsoever 
no arguing. But I think there are still real concerns, I think, over this team. And, you know, it's still back to the drawing board, I think, after this game. I think maybe there are some some things, perhaps, that, that he could take clarity from. Some lessons, maybe. Some lessons. So it's like... Okay, if your midfield never functions or doesn't really function on a consistent basis with Granite Xhaka in it, mm. don't play Granite Xhaka. Mm-mm. Go a different direction. You've got three young dynamic, four young dynamic central midfielders in there. You've got Willock, Terreric, Ganduzi, Ceballos. You know, those are other options that you could choose from. If your central defenders are a shambles, stop picking both of those central defenders. You know, there are things maybe that you can you can take some lessons from. I just feel like he wants to just hammer a nail in that does not want to be hammered in, you know? Yeah, that's it. And I think ultimately selecting Socrates, Louise and Shaka, it, those are conservative choices and, and conservatism has been an issue for Emery in his, in his decision-making. It's this interesting thing where like, I think most fans would say Emery is conservative with a small c in a lot of what he does and yet he's producing these wild chaotic frenetic games uh he is not it, it's like the, it's like the the capacity the, the the attributes that he has that should be his plus points yeah he's not even really delivering against those yeah that's really interesting isn't it yeah yeah there is like it's chaotic i think is a really good word he's a pragmatist who is failing to be pragmatic and, yeah. and that's uh a real concern and I have to say Manchester United look a real mess but I despite winning this game would not be going to Old Trafford with a great deal of confidence no me neither me neither but that's uh, that's a bridge we can cross a little bit later in the week I think we'll for another day exactly All right. well look um, let's leave it there for for part one unless there's anything else you can think of um, from that game just I mean I think we should just take another moment just to reflect on Spurs, Chelsea and Man United losing in a weekend. That was terrific. That was good. I'll, I'll raise a, an Great. empty cup of coffee to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. if you'd like to bid farewell to 2020. Now, use that same hand to celebrate the new year with Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code NEWYOU at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. Uh, also on the Arsblog Discord server. I forgot to do Facebook today. Sorry, Facebook folks. But uh, yeah, I forgot. I'm in a strange uh, place and it's not my usual routine. So there you go. 
Um, I'm going to start because we have a number of questions about this. Um, for example, Schwinn, who's at AFC Schwinn, says, Mesut Ozil, discuss. Mm. Um, Kieran Concanon, who's at Scrumpy Lungs on Twitter, says, if Emery doesn't trust Ozil when we need a goal at home against a newly promoted side, when can he be trusted? What is his purpose? How do we solve the issue of 15.6 million going down the drain and becoming increasingly harder to shift? And there's also one from Sebastian here, who's at Despo underscore hockey. He says, in a situation where we needed a goal to equalize, was picking a youngster in Joe Willock over Mesut Ozil the ultimate end of Mesut's Arsenal career? Shades of the Europa League final, I guess, in terms of when Willock came on. He didn't even warm up, I don't think. Not in the second half. No. He did in the first half. In the first half, they rotate, so everybody has a little run. Everyone yeah. has a little jog. Um, but in the second half, he didn't get up off the bench. No, there was Torreira, Willock, and Martinelli, Martinelli with a three warming up, and Ozil never never got off the bench. Uh, and, you know, one assumes that's because Emery feels that Meza Ozil is not an option when you have 10 men, I guess. Must be his. I guess so. Conclusion. Mesut Ozil's got to be an option when you're playing at home against Aston Villa. I thought he would from start the starting. Yeah. I thought he would start too. And and what Emery said during the week was that the reason he rested Ozil after 71 minutes mm. of of football all season was because we have a game on Sunday. Mm. We're resting him for the game on Sunday. Implied in that is basically I want to keep him fresh for that because. You know, I want to start him, mm. but he didn't start him. And I don't know. It, it just feels like it feels like this thing is, is starting again, that this is going to become an issue, uh, a bigger and bigger issue. Um, uh, is, is that is it sort of our not our fault, but are we are we sort of foolish to play into it almost? Because it's it's not new, really. Do you know what I mean? We all know. Unai Emery doesn't really see Mesut Ozil as a big part of his plans. It's been clear for the majority of his reign um, what's what's changed, really. No, I guess I guess nothing significant has changed. Mm. I mean, it felt in pre-season like there might be a bit of a sort of rapprochement, it did, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did look. I mean, he played yeah. a very uh, um, significant role in pre-season. He played the games. He played the game against Barcelona. Mm. And then, of course, that incident happened, which put paid to the start of the season for him and, and Kolasinac. But I do wonder if it's being handled well or mm. as well as it could be. You know, so Emery says he's rested after 71 minutes and everyone goes, yeah, of course. Rested, yeah. You know, nobody believes that. Um, I, I, well, I, I feel is, like a bit of honesty would it, probably help. Yeah, I actually call me gullible, but when he said that, I was like, "Well, maybe he is going to start him on Sunday," and I can kind of see that he might think, "I don't trust him to play three games in a week." Yeah, of course. And I was, I could make a certain sort of logic there, but the fact that he then left Dersel out, and I don't really think that anything that happened on Thursday change that. I mean, ultimately, it came down to a straight choice between Ozil and Ceballos, didn't it? Yeah. And he went for Ceballos, so which it feels like he's going to do when he can. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's really awkward and expensive, certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not necessarily convinced that, you know, if Meza Ozil plays, we're, we're a much better team. I really think that I really think that with Ozil, there is still this thing of kind of 
slightly harkening back to a different time. You know, mm. we think we think we've got the Real Madrid as on our bench, but I don't think we do. I think that's fair, but I still think we've got a player who could contribute. And when we talk about Arsenal having difficulties in controlling a game, mm. I do wonder if Ozil in the say a similar role as Ceballos yesterday could give you that technical control in the opposition half that allows you to play more of the game in, 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 in their half and towards their final third. Whereas Ceballos is a bit more frenetic, isn't he? In terms yeah. of how he wants to play and, and the way that he plays. Whereas Ozil, there is a cam, there is a, okay, it's languid or it could be slow. You might call it whatever you want, but certainly in terms of, um, having technical con- technical control of a game, he would give you that. But obviously, that's not something that Emery particularly fancies. No, but I, I sort of think that if I look at the Arsenal midfield, I'm like, who are the players who should give you that technical control? In all honesty, probably the two that I would pick would be Ozil and Shaka. But I think there are other aspects of those players' games that means they're sort of not really the right players for this league today. Um, but he still picks Shaka every week. You're right. That's the contradiction. Yeah. Yeah. He still picks Shaka every so is week. So it, is it an issue not necessarily of style of player or what they can do uh, on the pitch as character? Maybe. I mean, I, I know something Emery's always insisted upon. And what was fascinating was to see Per Mertzaka talking about it really openly with Mesut Ozil. You know, he was like, you know, Emery wants... Uh, this was at his book launch. It wants Mesut Ozil to be, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, absolutely as fit as he can be every single day and work as yeah. hard as he can work. I mean, I don't think... The fact that Pez prepared to say that publicly, I think, tells you it's sort of an open secret what Emery's problem with Ozil is. I think it's, you know, his intensity in training and in games. Um, and I think he probably almost feels like, if I pick him, what message is that sending? But if, if there's a game you're going to play him in... It's, mm. it's Aston Villa at home, isn't it? Yeah, and, and look, there's a very realistic prospect of Ozil outlasting Emery. Yeah, for sure. He's got two. He's got this season and next season remaining on his yeah. deal, hasn't he? So, and I think he knows that. I think he must be aware of that. Yeah. I mean, it was telling. I, you know, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but there's a. a a touchline camera at Arsenal that shows the celebrations for the goals. Oh, I watched that. I saw that this morning, yeah. And he is the last up off the bench, you know, and I don't know, like, is it is that just his personality or is he unhappy? You know, it's it's one of those things you end up reading a lot into it. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult because, you know, sometimes you, a goal is scored on the pitch and certain players, they just don't celebrate. Yeah, true. They just don't celebrate. And people go, why isn't he celebrating a goal? But, you know, it's a different thing when you're when you're in that position. I don't know. I mean, it it, it feels like a never-ending conversation, this one. We've had mm, this discussion so many, so many times. Um, is the bottom line simply that Emery does not like Ozil and if at all possible, won't pick him? Yes, I think that is the bottom line. And I think there are certain circumstances in which he's regards Ozil as a no-go. And I think being down to 10 men, given what Ozil's problems off the ball is one of those situations. Mm. I mean, if anything, the weirdest thing in all this is that he started him at Watford. Away from home. Which nobody expected. And it seemed like, okay, something's happening between this coach and this player. And then after that game, I mean, it doesn't take him to Germany doesn't send him out to warm up against Villa. Yeah. 
And, and he didn't play badly in the Watford game, no worse than anybody else. That's true. And he produced that great pass for the second goal. So I think it's, it's, it's clearly a real issue. It has been for a long time and it will continue to be. It is just now a question really of sort of who lasts longest. Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe there were people um, who, who had been frustrated by by Ozil and his performances and maybe a lack of that intensity that, that you talked about mm. who would probably have been on Emery's side when Definitely. it came to like uh, having a hard line with the player. I wonder now if more of those people might think uh, they're probably on Ozil's side. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that comes down to results, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, results and performances. Performances. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're not playing well without us. You never get better as a player than when you're not in the team. Yeah, that's true. Rob Holding is... Rob Holding, Kieran Tierney, Hector Bellerin are yeah. the world's the greatest footballers right now. <laughs> please let that be true. Uh, yeah, please let it be true. Um, I have had a question on the Discord, but I can't find it now. Let me have a look. Yeah, you keep scrolling through there. Uh, Magic thumbs. I actually know what the question is, but I just can't remember who asked it. Because it relates to Mesut Ozil in a way. And it was about what would, is the team going to be for Tuesday? I'll, I've, I've uh, found it chipping. So what's our team going to look like for Tuesday? Same as Frankfurt, Bart, Ober and Saka. And is Mesut Ozil going to sort of undergo the, not humiliation, but the the... the downgrade of being asked to play a, a Carabao Cup game I think he might mm. I think he might I mean if he if he can't play him in that you've got to play him in that you, because you've got to play him yeah I mean Emery said after the game it was like no one who played today is going to play Tuesday really uh, I think so I think he did say that yeah he said I, I mean I don't know if he means the subs presumably they'll be involved you would think someone like Willock for example right um I've just, as I've said that, realised that maybe that was supposed to be embargoed, but, you know, I've not quoted him directly, <laughs> so I think it's fine. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, he's going to heavily, heavily, heavily rotate things. I think so. Okay, so he's going to play Martinez. Yeah. I don't know who he's going to play at right back. I presume Chambers. I, I think he'll play Chambers, and then I think he'll play uh, Holding. I think Holding's going to make his comeback, yeah, for sure. Mavropanos, maybe. Is he ready? Well, he played for the under-23s on Friday with Holding and t- with Tierney and Bellerin. Yeah. Holding's a curious one because he went to Germany, wasn't picked. Yeah. And that meant he didn't play the under-23 game that, that Bellerin mm. and Tierney played. Not in the squad yesterday. So I hope there hasn't been any kind of setback there. I don't know if there has, but... Mm, I don't know either. I think it, just bringing him... You know, as the the extra man in the squad yeah. was to to get him involved again and just maybe psychologically prepare for him benefit, for yeah. for his comeback. I think he will play um, Mavropanos potentially uh, at centre half. If not, he's going to have to. Who else can he play? Uh, I, I really don't know if Zach Medley's available. Maybe I guess that's don't an know. option. Left back, left back. I mean, it really depends what they think about about Bellerin and Tierney in terms of. Are they going to give them any minutes in this game? Yeah. Friday to Tuesday. I mean, they only did an hour each, Bellerin and Tierney. I can't see them doing 90 minutes on a Tuesday, that's for sure. No. I think maybe they'll be involved in the matchday squad. So, Kolasinac again? (sighs) Maybe. I mean, a lot's being asked of him, but we don't have really an obvious left-back Yeah, there's nobody else, is there? There's a young guy who plays for the under-18s, the kid we brought in from Barcelona, Joel Lopez, but I doubt... 
That would be a big promotion. It would be a big promotion. Um, Well, we'll wait and see. There's uh, an issue for Emery to sort out. Midfield, I mean... Torreira, I guess. Torreira, Willock. Wouldn't surprise me to see Robbie Burton involved. He could be involved, yeah. Um, Mesut as we say, yeah. Reese Nelson, Martinelli. um, Saka's an option. Mm. I think we should be looking at one of the, the young strikers, um, Balagoon or, or Tyrese John-Jules. Mm. Balagoon scored twice, didn't he, for the under-23s on, on Friday. Mm. So, you know... I give, think Martinelli might play through the middle, actually. Yeah. I, I just think uh, he, he did it in pre-season a couple of times and I can see him getting well, that Well, again, we don't, what, what option do we have? Don't well, play Pepe. It. Don't play Aubameyang. No. Give them the rest ahead of, ahead of Old Trafford. Um and just you know, stick some kids out there and give them a, give them a go. Yeah, because yeah, you you can't you can't take a risk. Whatever about playing Aubameyang in Frankfurt, where you could kind of see a logic to it because it's our most difficult Europa League uh, game of the group. We've now won that game. Potentially, it means we don't have to play Aubameyang at all mm. for the rest of the Europa League because you you've put yourself in such a strong position in the group with that one win, Absolutely. given the caliber of the other opposition. But there's no call whatsoever to play him uh, in, in the Carabao Cup or have him involved in any way. And to be honest, I'm very relaxed about what happens in this competition. If we go out, I kind of feel we go out. Yeah. Know? It really is not a priority for us this season. No. I, I, I'd i like a couple of games. If we could get a couple of home games in which we can give these kids a chance and, and give them some playing time, great. But yeah, I, like you, it, it's, it's very, very low Slow on down my list, list of, yeah. of priorities. Um, okay, here is a question from uh, Dulwich Gunner who says, is it too soon to be asking serious questions about David Luiz? Um, and there was another one here. Uh, boom, boom, boom. I can't find it. But basically, uh, I apologize to whoever this was. Maybe it was on the Discord. I think it was about using Louise in, in midfield defensive midfield the new color actually tour. I have it here I think it's on my Twitter and it comes from Tom who's at Tom RH 1988 sorry Tom or H thank you 1988 I have to get my or right um he says, when holding his fit, is it worth pushing Louise into DM? He has the passing range and physicality Emery likes for that role. And right now at centre-back, he is a liability. Yeah, I mean, on the same similar note, I had this from Mac Andrews on the Discord. who said, which one of the two centre-backs has to be benched first in an attempt to improve things? Um, I have been really disappointed in Louise, I must say. He, he arrived and I thought... You know, he's a player of vast experience and he'd certainly said all the right things. But yeah, yeah I, I I suppose when you step back from it and you try to be objective, if you tried to draw up a list of the sorts of centre-backs Arsenal should be interested in signing this summer, David Luiz would have been very far down that list. Uh, he, he is kind of, you know, the antithesis of what we required to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, he's very, very different from Koscielny, for yes. example. You know, a Pete Koscielny who was quick, aggressive, um, read the game very well, uh, committed, um, played relatively safely, mm. whereas Louise is... Well, yeah. and, you know, I think because it's sort of, we lost him at a time when he was very 
old essentially Koscielny maybe we're not reflecting on it much but how much do we miss him I mean it feels yeah. like a, an enormous degree and Louise is only here because Koscielny is gone and, and he does not look like an adequate replacement as of now I mean something I keep thinking about with Louise is quite how much money we're paying him I assume it's well I've heard it's a pretty sizable sum I mean he was on a lot of money at Chelsea yeah and it will be you know a three year contract or something like it on big big money which makes him difficult to Oh, I mean, you're, you, you're definitely stuck with him, yeah. So it's a, a very tricky situation. He just was so... Uh, it is that thing of being on your heels. I looked at that first Villa goal yesterday, and when the cross comes in, so Kratis is at least alert. Luis has just sort of switched off. And what we saw, I think, on their second goal, it reminded me of an incident with Mustafi once where he just let a guy come across him at the That's near right, post. That's right, the near post, I remember. Yeah, and him yeah. and Czech were sort of blaming each other yeah. afterwards. Um, it was it was of that ilk, really. And look, he can pass. There's no doubt about it. I mean, even yesterday, there were a couple of great long range passes. But mm. that's you need of, more than that. You need a him. lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about the idea of him in defensive midfield? Uh, I mean, I'd file it under. I'd file it next to Callum Chambers under worth a go at this point. Yeah, I would prefer to see him there rather than at the centre of my defence mm. at this point. Mm. Um, and I'm not particularly wedded to either of our centre-halves at this moment in time, but you can see sometimes when players are compatible and when they work together and when they have an understanding and when their games complement each other. Mm. You can see that. Think of Mertesacker and Koscielny, for example. It was the same when it was um, uh, Koscielny and Vermalen never never gelled, whereas Mertesacker and Koscielny absolutely did because, uh, you know, Mertesacker's reading of the game and his positioning and his, his organizational skills married perfectly with Koscielny's aggressive um, defending, yeah. you know. But but these two, they just look like two ends of, you know, two ends of a magnet. They're just sure. never going to get together. And if the solution is to play somebody else in... Uh, the center of the defense then you know let's let's do that um who would you be you know to, to the question who would you be taken out first <laughs> it's not an easy choice is it it isn't really an easy choice because my initial thought is louise yeah and then i think about socrates and i could easily drop him as well yeah i suppose you have to try and make decisions based on who you think would form the best partnership yeah with somebody else I yeah I, I don't know yeah well it's, it's too- hard to predict that chemistry yeah and you know Socrates and Holding it's not something we've seen a great deal of you know, mm. so it's difficult to gauge that Holding's still coming back as well Chambers is a bit of an unknown quantity with any of these players next to him yeah Mm-mm. Yeah, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to know. I mean, I think Chambers, I would give Chambers a go. I know he's probably going to be needed at right back in the next game, which puts paid to any any change at the center of our defense because mm. I think Old Trafford would be way too soon for for holding. But yeah, Chambers deserves a, an opportunity in there. And yeah, my gut is telling me Louise should be the guy to make way. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if Emery wants a big guy in this uh, in his defensive midfield position, which he seems to do, a big guy who can pass, a big guy who can pass, well, Louis can give you that. Yeah, 
So maybe that's worth maybe that's worth a go. It's I mean, not why we bought him, but you know, you can't you just can't keep uh carrying that level of ineptitude. Yeah. I mean I suppose that replacing Shaka with Louise is maybe doing a little bit like for like and that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, some no. of their problems might be similar. As yeah, well. like I said earlier, I think, you know, he does have other options there and he does have ways of reshaping that midfield without Jack and without Louise. But, you know, there might be games where his experience and, and his uh, his ability on the ball is is useful. And mm. if he's further away from our goal, then um, you would like to, <laughs> like to think it makes us a little bit more secure. This is a question from Ollie Tucker on Twitter, who's at OllieTucker93. And Ollie says, any thoughts on Reese Nelson's situation? Started the season well enough, but then left out midweek. Suddenly, suddenly finds himself leapfrogged by a younger player and not trusted to help turn around a game when desperately needing goals. How big is this midweek for him? I think it's big, yeah. I think in some ways he's been a little bit unfortunate because mm. if you think about, um, was it the Burnley game? Burnley game where he scored, he, the goal. he scored a goal. And well, came he off. Score, yeah. You know, and he came off at halftime. He was sacrificed at halftime where, you know, if Monreal was, what, half a foot offside or something like that, you know, had he been onside there, Nelson would have scored his first goal. Uh, it would have been a, uh, a different experience for him. And since then, he's found it difficult to get back into the team. I thought that Saka played in Frankfurt because he was going to play Nelson Same. today. But I guess Saka's performance meant that Emery wanted to reward him with another start. Mm. Not sure you can argue too much with that. You know, if a player comes in and does as well as Saka did and you immediately bench him, even if you can explain to him, look, I I I want you to play in the Carabao Cup. I Mm. think this is a game that's more suited to you. Um, But he gave him that start and fair play. He gave him the start. Uh, I I think Nelson will, will start against Nottingham Forest. And I think maybe there is a little bit of pressure on him and maybe it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Maybe it's not a bad thing for him to realize that he's got to produce a little bit. Um, There's talent there. My concern is that in the final third, the the decision-making isn't quite there with Reese Nelson. Just not quite. Like it's a half a second off, Mm -hmm. like a pass isn't quite, you know. Um, And that's something we need to see improve um, if he can do it against Nottingham Forest, he could take a step forward. But it is a big, it is a big chance for him. I think. Yeah, it's still early in the season. I think that against Newcastle, I thought Nelson had a decent game on the opening weekend. Mm. I think people were quite impressed with him. But he's not had a huge amount of opportunities since then. And I think against Watford, he had a bit of a, a nightmare cameo. I mean, it was a difficult situation to come on in, but he didn't make a good impression. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he does need a performance against Forest just to reassert his talent really very few people will doubt his talent you know I think everyone at the club recognises he's a very gifted player yeah uh, the question now is has he got those other ingredients that, that prove to be the difference really between just being a promising talent and someone who makes the grade things like decision making as you say or just having that competitive edge really yeah the character to, to realise okay maybe Saka's taken a little step ahead of me here and Joe Willock is playing more regularly and, mm. and all those kind of things um, but that could be a driver. That could be something that really gives him a bit of extra motivation as well. Yeah, I, I don't doubt he's got more skill and can do more flicks and tricks than someone like a, a Gunduzi. But does he have those elements of his character yeah. that will enable him to perform at this level? And maybe what's happened with Saka will serve as a bit of an inspiration, light a bit of a fire under him. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be the worst thing at all. No, not at all. We'll see. We'll see how he does. Okay, here's a question from. 
and there are many questions along this line. Okay. Um, he, Kieran Duggan, is at C Duggan Six. He says, I was a big supporter of Emery last season, but this season's performances, particularly against Watford and Villa, are quite alarming. The way these teams cut through us with ease. Did yesterday's result mask the fact that Emery is on borrowed time? And a lot of questions along the same lines. Um, questioning the, the coach, papering over the cracks. Um, you know, an inability to identify or to connect with what Emery is doing not seeing any defensive improvement, letting in too many goals, being as defensively insecure as we are. The questions keep coming, and the result, of course, was brilliant. But, you know, it, as you said earlier, it's part of a bigger picture so far mm. this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've won two games since the Watford match, but I've, and we've done that by sort of leaning into our strengths, which is definitely going forward. But those defensive problems are still really apparent and better teams will take more advantage of that. There's just no doubt uh, we will come unstuck if we keep playing like this. And it does feel, I I wrote today for The Athletic, that it's just not sustainable. I just don't think you can play 38 games like this and expect to come out okay. No, it's Well, I'll be dead for a start. (laughs) We all will. It's mayhem. It is real mayhem. And it's... You know, I, I, it's so at odds with what you would expect from Emery and what you would want from him, really. I mean, it, you can't knock it for entertainment, for a neutral. Oh, man. Yeah, but fuck the neutral, man. I like. Yeah. I, 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 I was actually saying this to the guy sitting beside me at the game yesterday, and it was like, if you were a fan of another team, Arsenal would be so much fun to watch oh, because... Sure. They can do fantastic things, but they can also do things which are just basically ludicrous mm, and mm. stupid. And the the range and variety with which we display our ineptitude defensively is is incredible. Mm. Like every time you think you've seen it all, they pull something else out of the hat. They they invent some new way of making you go, "What the fuck are you doing?" That's it. And I do feel like we. We got the result yesterday almost in spite of ourselves. Uh, and I, nothing I saw really convinced me that anything has changed dramatically and nothing I saw convinced me that there's a plan. So I think all the concerns that sort of poured out of people after the Watford game, I think it's difficult to find anything to dispel those in the Villa match. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of support for the manager Vocally, within the ground. Vocally, just from chatting to people after the game. It was like, that was a great win. Let's get a new manager. A lot of that. I know there's an element of sort of hyperbole with that kind of thing, but who out there can really have faith in what this project is and what he's doing based on what we're seeing on the pitch and the performances that we've, we've put in? You know, results have been okay. Yeah, results have been okay. One defeat, isn't it, this season? One defeat. The Watford result was obviously a really poor one, but you can sort of contextualise them, and that was a big three points, and uh, the other teams around us lost. Watford gave City a really good game. Yeah, they did. They're they're very strong. Very strong. (laughs) What did you think about that when you saw that? (laughs) Well, it's funny because they went 2-0 up, and I was like, be careful, City. This is where they're... This is this is where Watford are at their most dangerous. And then they went on to score another six goals. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it was impossible not to reflect on our own struggles. Yes. Uh, but we know that City are a very different outfit to us as well. I mean, they are miles ahead as are Liverpool. Of course. Um, and the weird thing about the situation we're in is I feel like this sort of collective awfulness of the teams between third and sixth will perpetuate the situation. Uh, I sort of feel as long as everyone else is really bad... We can get away with being bad? Almost. Almost. Yeah. I feel like patience is running out, though. I do feel like, you know, had yesterday ended in defeat, potentially that was was the end of Emery. Mm. And, and, And if Old Trafford goes badly, I mean, you know, that won't go down well. No. Especially given the way United are playing. Is there an interlull after the Old Trafford game or is it a bit later? Uh... I don't know off the top of my head, actually. I think it's a bit later, actually. Let me just see. There is one in October, I think. Yeah, there is for sure. But no, we've got um, Monday is... Oh, we've got two games. We've got a yeah, European game. And we've got Standard Liège at home and we've got Bournemouth at home. And then there's an interlude before we play Sheffield United. So I mean, it is a good run of fixtures that we're in as well. That's the thing. Points accumulation is really important at this point in the mm. season. Those those games all are theoretically winnable. Yeah. Um, they should be winnable, really. Yeah. Uh, maybe with the exception of United. You know, you never Old Trafford going to Old Trafford is always difficult. Whatever state they're in. So yeah, I mean, there's not. Should we be giving Emery any credit for you know turning things around yesterday? Making and he made right a couple of changes. The yeah. substitutions worked. Yeah, he got um, the shape right with ten men, which isn't always easy, I suppose. But it's sort of. What else could he have done, really? Yeah. I mean, he had to put Chambers on. And then what can you do other than, like, try and stay a little bit compact? Yeah. And we and we did it. Um, I, I wonder as well, you know, in mitigation, you know, I think the club, when we look at the business that they've done this summer, I think there's been, I think there's been a, a plan or a design from above mm. about um, how to shape the squad. Mm. So... We got rid of Mkhitaryan, I think, for good reasons, because he's been underperforming. He was very expensive. He was costing us a lot of money every week. I think the club were, were keen to move him uh, on anyway. But I also think they took away from Emery the A kind crutch. of option yeah. that he would have used in the Frankfurt game. So we wouldn't, if we'd had Mkhitaryan, we wouldn't have seen Saka, mm. I don't think. And it right. won't be maybe falls into that category as well. And, and also, you know, Monreal, who was an experienced player, has been taken away. And, and there's a different kind of logic there because we've paid £25 million for Kieran Tierney and you can't keep three left-backs. And if it were me, I'd have kept Monreal and, and sold Kolasinac, but maybe that, that wasn't an option. Um, you know, I, I wonder if this is in some ways a bit of a, a, bit of a test from above uh, in terms of like, okay, we have this talent. We want this talent to come through. Is he the coach who can do it? Um, yeah. And I, and I think along those lines, actually, I think that for all the frustration with Emery, I don't think fans should despair because although we may not be seeing massive improvements in the team, I actually do think the, the club is changing and the club is moving forward. And I think what we're seeing behind Emery or above Emery, as you say, is actually much more progressive and much more positive. Mm. So I sort of think, you know, as much as it might feel like the team is not moving in the right direction, I think the club is. So there are there are positives to be drawn, I think, from from where we're going as a club, but I, I do understand the frustrations with the, with the games, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that, I mean, 
Yeah. Uh, the, the question with Emery, I suppose, is that, that we also always get asked is if he's not the right man in the long term, what's the point in persisting in the short term? Well, it's about what you have to replace him in the short term. Do you have somebody lined up? Yeah. Or do you have faith in someone like Freddie Jumberg, mm. for example, to to be better and to improve the team? So that's that's where it is. I mean, I think I don't think anybody thinks Emery is the guy for the long term. Mm. And you can make the argument about um, what's the point in keeping him. But I think you also have to be a little bit sensible if you don't have somebody else that you think is is good enough or or can make things better. Yeah, you're kind of stuck with the status quo, but maybe it's maybe it makes it um, important that you find that solution sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. Um, what else have we got here? I've got... Oh, no, I don't think I'm going to do that one, actually. This question was about, is there something positive you'd like to say about Emery? But I don't know. I mean, it's going to be... By the time we thought of something... <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and you have to be somewhere soon. So yeah, I, I, have you got any? More I've got like one that? more. I go think on, I've let's got do one more, more because then. then you've got to. I've got to go and audition for a Christmas advert. This which is, this is exciting. Yeah, this I mean, I've, I've got. I need, to, I need to get myself feeling all Christmassy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to. Are you going to be like the sad penguin in the mawkish John Lewis ad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I play. Rah, I play like a dying penguin, <laughs> and then someone brings me a Christmas present, and I'm cured, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And you go sailing off in the air with a, exactly. a snowman with a, a pop song that's been really recorded with piano. And vocal, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a really good pop song, but like slowed like, down and ruined, made basically. really, yeah, basically ruined. Yeah. Like all those fuckers who did the slow versions of uh, uh, Dancing on My Own by Robin. Yeah. Fucking assholes, every single one of them. Uh, okay, this is a final one um, from Top Bin, who's at Top Bin underscore football. He says, what end product would you be satisfied from Pepe this season? Mm. For me, it's 10 goals, 8 assists. Hopefully he can win some penalties as well. I have to say, uh, that doesn't sound unreasonable, but I do think it's interesting how conservative some of the numbers are for Pepe given I think what some of the expectations and demands have been on other Arsenal players in the past I feel like we should be asking for for more than that really for that kind of outlay um, but I'm not sure we'll get it I think I think what would I be happy with I'd be happy with f- 15 goals I think given that I think he's going to play every game yeah I think he should be scoring that many goals I mean, look, he, he had a great season before he joined us yeah. and he scored whatever amount of goals 22. it was, 22 goals. So 13, I think, the season before that. You'd want to get him, you'd want to see him in double figures, for sure. Mm. You'd want to see him in double figures. But I mean, yesterday was only the second time he started in his favourite position. Yeah, that's true. And I think it will be very interesting to see how he performs, you know, big if, if we can become a more cohesive attacking team. But also if he's got someone like Hector Bellerin who I think we all would say gives us something down the right hand side that that makes us a bit better than we are right now I did think that yesterday you know having consistency in in that partnership and someone who's more comfortable in that position I think will really help him yeah um yeah I I mean look he he got the penalty yesterday what did you make of his overall performance kind of like his other ones Mm. it was okay there were some nice moments um I think he might be holding I, on to the ball a bit too long sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And I'm not sure he quite... Mm, I don't want to say knows what he's 
doing because yeah. that goes back to that overall thing where this team doesn't really mm. always look like it knows what he's do what it's doing but it feels very reliant on individual brilliance what he's doing at the moment yeah know? like there were a couple of good passes yesterday there was one yeah. like, sort of a reverse pass which almost what? came off which was which was very good yeah um it, it, he he's just sort of looked at me like a player who doesn't quite feel like he's at home yet if mm. that makes sense like he's settled in and maybe the maybe the goal will be a big help there maybe that that was a millstone that uh, was around his neck I mean um, look some of the greatest Arsenal signings in history have been slow starters yeah. Thierry Henry Dennis Bergkamp so I definitely am not jumping to any conclusions at all I just think he looks like someone who things just seem to be happening a little too slowly for him on the yeah. ball and I think you're right those automatisms those connections with other players aren't there and it means that he's kind of reliant on himself to and if that means beating two men to get a shot away he'll yeah. try and do it but he's playing in front of a different midfield every week yeah you know um, so some consistency of, of selection in, in, in that area of the pitch might help consistency of formation would help as well so I absolutely would still be picking him every week I think yeah, he's yeah. clearly one of our most dangerous players Th there's another element to be considering this that Next month, Lacazette will be back. Emery's got to try and figure out that front three mm -hmm. again, try and make some sense of that. Um, so I don't know if we'll be seeing the best of Pepe for some time, basically. But I'd like to see him among the goals. I feel like in that position, he shows enough threat that he he, he gets in the positions. You know, I, I really do think he can deliver there. Um, and we do, we are scoring goals at least at the moment. So that's something. Yeah. Well, look, Aubameyang scoring goals. Aubameyang scoring like that. goals. Yeah, that's true. Um, right. Well, look, we'll leave it there because you have got to go be a sad Christmas penguin. Sure. Um, thank you for uh, the coffee and for the cross. My pleasure. Thanks for allowing me into your hotel room. Not at all. Um, it's an intimate setting. We will. We will discuss the Man United game. It'll be Tuesday because it's a Monday night football game. Yep. So the next Arscast Extra will be on Tuesday of next week. We will, of course, have an Arscast on Friday looking ahead to the uh, United game and talking about everything else that's gone on this week. Mm. So until then, take uh, it easy. Oh, Ooh, you jumped I can't believe it. In person, we messed it up. Do it. Bye-bye. <laughs>